Hi, good morning, uh, Udo. Um, it's great to be here uh, with you. Um, looking forward to having a quite wide-ranging conversation around different things in, in fintech and um, changes that, that are afoot, but also obviously what, what's going on um, in security. I guess just a bit of background from me. I've uh, been working in, in Talos and in payments and security for about 13 years. It seems like a, a crazy amount of time. Um, but to be honest, it's it's probably one of the most exciting areas with, within security that, that I've been lucky enough to find myself working within. Uh, I think some advice that I received about 10 years ago was to never get into the world of payments because it's incredibly boring and, and nothing exciting ever happens then. To now, you know, mobile and mobile payments and, and uh, digital payments being an intrinsic part of our life. And so I'm really glad I, I didn't listen to that advice um, and that, you know, I get to have conversations with, with people like you. So, yeah, looking forward to our, our conversation. Uh, good morning, Simon. I think uh, you're definitely right. And uh, to introduce me, I could say I'm a digital dinosaur because uh, I started with digital technology a long time ago and have also been in financial services uh, for more than 20 years. Uh, but you are right, especially in payments, we had times where payments did not develop very much. So we had the introduction of the first cards and then we had a jump and then we had a long period where things were going rather smooth, slowly replacement of checks at the beginning, then replacement of cash, depending on the country, more or less. But I think uh, with all what we call digitalization now, uh, with the mobile phones, with the iPhones, with tokenization technology. And nowadays we are talking about central bank digital currencies, token in other sense, uh, very much is going on. And there is quite an acceleration of the developments if I compare the time now to the time, let's say, 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a great point that you raised that payments kind of leveled off for a little while and we were, we were, we were nice and, and stable, I would say. It's, it's, it is fair to say that um, from a security point of view, at least, payments continued to mature all the way through this process. Um, you know, you think back uh, to the earliest memories of, of credit cards, you know, simple pieces of cardboard that were potentially very easily cloned and, and I'm sure that once fraudsters and criminals saw a way to extract money from the system, they, they quickly figured out how to, how to do that, that cloning. Then we got into plastic cards with embossing and mag stripes and holograms, all the while trying to stay one step ahead of, of the criminals or, or um, introducing um, things to try and stop attacks that, that, that existed until we got to chip and pin. And I think that was probably maybe the most exciting thing to have happened. Um, and then, of course, payments moved onto a digital platform. And that's where the fraudsters went. You know, as soon as they, one hole is, is, is uh, one, one vulnerability is stopped for them, they just try and find different ways of, of extracting money uh, from, from the system. So you move into digital, you move into fintech, and these have now become, I think, the security targets to, to criminals. Physical card fraud yeah. is, is not so interesting. Go for the low-hanging fruit, I think, is, is the criminal's mindset. If you put barriers in their way, they'll go and find another easier target. No one wants to spend a great deal of effort going after a particular target. So as we move away from the strong uh, security-backed uh, physical card world, they'll move into digital and move into fintech and find different ways of 
monetizing and extracting money from that system. Definitely right. And uh, as you said, criminals are, from my point of view, really examples for rational actors, as in economic theory, Uh, uh, those guys are described, they are very rational. They are looking always for the low-hanging fruits where you can make the most money with less effort. And remembering the time of the Max tribe, we had all the discussion how to get the Max tribe secure and the real solution was then chip and pin and uh, then standardization with PCI technology and maybe afterwards also tokenization. So we have a lot of these pieces in place. But what it happened within, let's say, the last five years, all these criminals and fraudsters really went to the non-regulated part, crypto assets. And if you look on, the, on this whole field of crypto assets, you will find all types of frauds and criminal behavior you can imagine. But it's a fully unregulated environment. And what's very strange, the protocol, the blockchain itself, of course, is secure. But if you take the whole environment with all the participants, uh, crypto exchanges, crypto wallet providers, and so on and so on, then you have so many different participants in these new worlds, which really invite every type of fraudsters and criminals uh, just to go in there and, as I said, make as much money in the simplest and easiest way as they can do. Yeah, I think, you know, it's almost the exact promise of, of cryptocurrency and, and, and Bitcoin and, and all of the other coins, the promise of the unregulated environment and the ability to transact without governments and um, and schemes getting in, get, getting in your way of making payments. If I want to sell goods here in, in the UK and you want to pay me out of Germany, I don't have to worry about SEPA and international money transfers. We can just transact and that's great. But like I said, the very promise of this really gives rise to the use uh, well, on two sides, really the, the use of that, that, that system for criminal activity. But due to that lack of regulation, lack of, um, Security kind of wrapping itself around that, that system also gives rise to the system being attacked itself. You can't attack the, the blockchain, but certainly when you have um, crypto exchanges, you have social engineering attacks at, at, at the most simplest level. Send money to this Bitcoin address instead of that Bitcoin address. And the next thing, my wallet is empty. Definitely right. And I think... A regulation is not always uh, the best thing you can do, and it's not the philosopher's stone for every problem in the world. But one important aspect in regulation is not so much the technology itself or the technology standards, because that is something all the professional participants have to deal with. Regulation also generates security for the retail user, for the customer, for the citizens, which are no experts in payment technology who just want to have a simple, secure payment. And if you have then regulation, if you have high security standards, so people can trust in these payment systems, and I think they did it with cards payment, especially with chip and pin, where they have real good feeling. Yeah. So going away from this environment where regulation is not for regulation's sake, but to provide security and also trust in the whole system, I think crypto asset 
is really the totally different examples of a totally non-regulated environment. And then the problem started. And I think in between, let's say in between this old world and the world of the crypto assets, we have all the developments for, we have for the time being, we have contactless. So in principle, contactless technology is a simple technology, but nevertheless, you can make many mistakes if you as a customer or you as a small merchant are not a really an expert in that. And that is the point where uh, a possible security glitches can come in. And that's the thing where we should spend more awareness on that, how we could fix this points in the whole environment and not so much in one piece of the technology. Because if I talk about encryption, I think the experts know how to get encryption really safe and uh, what the key length should be and so on and so on. But no citizen would ever understand what we are talking about. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and I think, you know, the, the thing that I remind myself of, of, of often is thinking about the perception of, of security in, in these environments and not actually, you know, what the, the real security is down at, you know, in, in the back end systems. But what does it look like at the front end? When I talk to my family about using contactless, they're still apprehensive about using the, the technology because of this perceived threat about the, the security and, you know, the, the media sometimes does a great job in, in helping with that perception, but often um, gives a, a quite negative uh, feeling to, to the use of, of new technology. But I think as well, you know, within card payments, um, that that regulation, that, that ecosystem provides a, a lot of security in, in terms of good usability that I can use my card in any store with chip and pin. I can be sure that, that I, as the consumer, I'm not going to be defrauded very easily as long as I keep my pin secure. But at the merchant side as well, you know, they know that they'll get paid. And I know as well, if something goes wrong, I can call up my bank and say, this wasn't me. Um, and given that if it wasn't a, a pin authorized transaction, I can get that money back in my account. And that's what wraps around all of this regulation as well. It's not just, you have to encrypt the data a particular way, but this is how the process works. Um, and through that process, I'm protected as a consumer, regardless of the underlying technology. Yes, and, and I think process has two aspects. The one aspect, as you said, is uh, there is also always a regulation where I can get my money from as a consumer and who is liable for a transaction. And I think the other benefit of regulation is to have a clearly defined procedure and a simple usage. And from my point of view, a simple usage is even more important than highest security standards, which are then quite complex to use. If you make the usage too complicated for the average user, then he will not end uh, the order, he will not end the transaction, he would change to other means of payments, which are simpler, but maybe not so secure. And so we have to think more from, as you said, the front end point of view, how is the average consumer doing his transaction, which then could achieve a very high standard of security, whereas thinking only in technology terms, uh, you would never get the buy-in from the users at the front end. Yeah, you know, uh, you're absolutely right about <clears throat> introducing difficulties in, into that that transaction chain. And I know 
if my wife is presented with a 3D secure pop-up on, on her on her browser, if she's buying something online, she will very quickly abandon that because it means standing up, going, finding her cards, you know, remembering what that password is perhaps. Um, and yeah, so just introducing barriers in, in, into that, doesn't matter how secure it is. It would be great to have a 10-digit alphanumeric passphrase for our, for our um, credit cards when we withdraw money from an ATM. But we know that users don't manage with passwords generally. And we know that it's hard to remember that those sorts of things. A four-digit PIN code sounds like a terrible idea in, in the fact that it's, it's only four digits, it's easily brute forced. But you know, the usability of it is, is key. And we want users keeping that PIN secure. It's something that they can keep under their control quite easily and maintain relatively good operational security. If you make that thing any longer, the PIN any longer, they start writing it down. It starts becoming a little posted in their wallet. And then it just breaks the entire premise of increasing that security by becoming too complicated uh, for, for the users to, um, to build good operational um, security around. Yes, and I think that is a very important point. Uh, as you said, uh, this aspect of consumer behavior, that is, I think, a very important point we have to take into account when we are talking about security and also about technology for security, because we could have the best technology in the world if the user is either not using it or using it in the wrong way, uh, then all the effort and all the money we spent for that is gone. But I think it's also very interesting how it will develop in the future, because we have a lot of discussion about seamless payments now. And whether it's checking out of an Uber taxi, where you just go out of the taxi and the payment is done in the background. For that, very, very convenient types of payments, I think, uh, which are also deeply integrated in all these daily processes we have, whether using a taxi or um, whether buying petrol at the petrol stations, we have then to think how we integrate also security in these processes, because I think uh, a four-digit uh, PIN number won't work there. And then we have to think, could it be uh, a new type of technology? Could we think about facial recognition? We know it's a highly debated thing, but how can we use that in a, in a real all-day environment to make very convenient types of payments and the seamless payments working with the same security level as we know in this, let's say, very old and analog uh, yeah. uh, chip and pin world. You're, you're right. And I think, you know, the, the big difference that we have today, I, I probably compared to the, the, the old chip and pin world is as we become more dependent on mobile phones, on, on apps running in our, in our, on our phones or, or websites, we have a lot more data points to, to capture and, and try to assess the, the risk of a transaction. And I think we need to start thinking about doing this um, to, to lower the friction to the user. And I think there's a counter argument to that as well, is obviously all of this gathering of data becomes something that makes me very nervous. Um, you know, as again, thinking about easy targets, as organizations start to build up this wealth of information, that information becomes um, a, a great target for criminals to extract from the system and use in things like identity theft or social engineering attacks. 
because there are easy ways of converting raw personal data into into money and, and these are the, the ways of doing it so yes i think we can make use of the, the new data points but we need to do it in an intelligent way and we need to be careful about the storage and retention of that data long term and of course going back to your point earlier is use technology that we've been using in banking for the last 10 15 20 years like encryption like tokenization to protect that data so that if it does end up in criminals hands at least the most sensitive parts of it are protected and of no value to the criminals and, and don't present a way for them to extract money from the system definitely right and as you mentioned social engineering you know the best way to do social engineering is to gather all the data you have in the social media about a person and then to collect this data, use this data, and then I have a quite good profile. So you have really a very good basis where you can start then your social engineering on. And if you want to avoid that situation, which we have with this publicly data in social media, for then these more integrated, seamless payment processes, we have to have a very strong technology in the back end to keep all these data points quite secure and usable only for a certain purpose, uh, like to check or uh, like to see whether the payment is differing from the usual uh, pattern and so on and so on. So we have also there a lot of technology available, but we have really to think what does it mean in the whole chain and in the whole environment and who are participants in the environment. And I think the example of a petrol station makes it very clear uh, the owner of the petrol station will never be the experts in payment or in biometric identification. So we have to think how we use this technology for the benefit of the clients, of the merchants and everybody else, but always keeping in mind the behavior of the front end may be totally different to what we think at the back end how behavior should be. Yeah, exactly. You know, consumer behavior is, is definitely, I wouldn't say it's overlooked, but it is definitely something that um, needs to have stronger attention paid to it in terms of how is it a user actually going to perform this task? 90% of the time, probably they're not going to do it the way that you, 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 you think they will. And if it's something as simple as writing down a password or, or, a, or, or a pin to maybe something a bit more... Um, if, if I have this this great system on my website to allow users to, to log in and, and they need to use a, a hard token or something like that, then perhaps those hard tokens just stay plugged into my laptop and actually don't bring in any necess any security necessarily because the, the, the user has deviated from what I imagine them doing in terms of deploying this, uh, this, this technology. Definitely right. So I think uh, technology is important, a very important pillar for security, but behavior or understanding the behavior is also a very important pillar. And uh, if we come to, let's say, merchants or employers in companies, then we have also the aspect of education. So education and training when it comes to security, when it comes to payment, when it comes to payment fraud, money laundering and all that, it really has an impact on the daily behavior. And as I said, you could have the best technology if it is not used or used in an improper way, then all the, the, the good ideas and the good effort is gone. And then we are back at, at very, very simple 
fraud mechanisms uh, where no technology can help uh, because they are using then the gap in a whole process chain uh, which was not really planned but is simply existing the fraudsters are developing at the same or even uh, faster speed uh, than the professionals on the other side and uh, we have always to keep up to date yeah and and i think you know we talk a lot about the the end user um behavior and, and how they might deviate from things but i think the same um conversation or same thought needs to be given for internal users again thinking about technology where you know we might develop a solution or, or any other security vendor develops a solution thinking this is going to be the best way to protect data to, to protect process but if those internal users are not sufficiently informed and they don't end up using the technology in the way that we designed it, then again, it, it leaves a hole open in the system. So I think as a vendor community, we equally need to, to um, concentrate on the, the use of our products, make them easy to use to achieve the goals that we set out for them to do. So you know, we really need to think about designing solutions that, um, that help users achieve their goals and don't let them think about ways of deviating from that process to try and try and find a better way to, to do something. Definitely agreed. So I guess, um, Udo, the, we, we, we talk a lot about um, the, the changes and maybe some of the difficulties that, that are coming up. But to be honest, I think, as I said earlier, I'm really glad I made the decision to, to stay within payments. It is certainly an, an interesting place to be. And it's not all fighting the forces and, and doom and gloom. I, I think, you know, this is an exciting time to, to be part of the payments ecosystem. I think the challenger banks, the alternative payment methods, providing better ways of doing things to users, keeping the banks on their toes and forcing them really to, to remain relevant and introduce those same kinds of services. So I think, you know, a good amount of competition is, is keeping the, the world um, interesting um, with regard to payments. Um, but as well, the new things that we see start to happen within FinTech, I, I think are, are exciting. If that is pay with my voice, pay with my palm, um, or just pay by walking into a shop. I think these are exciting things to try and experiment with. We need to, um, we need to understand what the, 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 the threat profile is in these environments. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that we'll enter another phase of many trials and, and pilots of organizations trying to try, uh, trying to do new things. And there'll be some failures, but I think we're we're walking into this as a community with our eyes much more wide open than we did when we started introducing cards 20 or 30 years ago. Definitely right. And I think avoiding to be the attack vector, we need technology on the one side. We need a very good understanding of customers' behavior and also merchants' behavior. Um, that's a very important point. We need education of all the people involved in the technology and also regulation can help here and uh, for europe the european commission just proposed a digital operation resilience act um, two weeks ago um, so i think that is a constantly challenge but nevertheless as you said time is quite interesting things are moving uh, while we had one or two decades with very slow moving development we have now um, very a variety of, of different solutions on the table and we have to see what's really uh, usable with high security and also with the benefit for the customers especially yeah absolutely there is a, a huge amount of change 
happening at, at the moment. I think, you know, think about a, a couple of technologies that we've lived with for many years, mobile phone being one of them and, and, and say card payments as the other. There were a lot of mistakes made in the past. So there are great lessons, I think, to be learned from looking back in time at the solutions that we think of legacy as, or, or as old fashioned, where we've come a long, long way to make them the secure platforms that they are today. Um, so, you know, I think leaving messages, look back at the legacy systems that we're trying to challenge, that we're trying to bring improvements to, but think about the, the, the security that they've introduced to mitigate against the variety of threats that we've seen as they've become popular and as criminals have, have found ways to monetize them and extract that value. And yes, and I think uh, I have really to thank you because, uh, uh, as you said, looking back to the last 20 or 30 years, that also gave me as a digital dinosaur the feeling that uh, what I did in the past was not quite useless. Even if you see not the development from day to day, but if you look back then 20 years and see what we all could use, you call it legacy, uh, use also for the future. Uh, I think uh, th that's a quite good feeling for being a long time in the industry, and but also gives a quite good feeling for being curious uh, for the future and, and for the future development. Yeah, absolutely. Great, Udo, thank you very much. It's been a great time uh, talking to you. I look forward to catching up sometime in the future. Okay, great. Thanks a lot.